This episode of The Citadel Cafe is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe to find out how you can become a patron and help make this show possible. This is the Citadel Cafe, episode number 445 for Wednesday, June 29th, 2022. My name is Joel Duggan and the Citadel Cafe is where my friends and I hang out to talk about the geeky stuff that we are into. Joining me this week, Alistair McFly is back. You can find him at Alistair McFly on all the social media that matters and the co-host of Long Range Sensors. Hello, sir. Hello. It's good to have you back, man. It's been a little bit. It has been, but always, always good to be back. Always have a good time. So what have you been up to in the, the span between episodes? I've been doing quite a bit in terms of my soldering and Game Boy stuff. Most of it just amassing things. The more parts I get, more equipment, the more I realize I need another thing. There's something else that would make this a lot easier. But <laughs> So it's, it's taken time. But I've also been enjoying just taking like short stabs at things. So rather than just rushing a project all the way through from start to finish... I'm just taking like an hour here or there or maybe 30 minutes and stuff. And, and I'm quite enjoying that. And I've also got some electronic kits. I managed to get a digital clock. And so it's just exposed circuit board with all sorts of resistors, capacitors and all that kind of stuff and some really funky um, LED seven segment displays. And after I finished assembling it, it occurred to me that if I strapped that to a bag of flour, police would probably be knocking on my door because it very much so looks like the detonator for a bomb. (laughs) But it's great and it works. And the instructions came in Chinese and it wasn't until after I had assembled it that I realized that I could just translate it with my phone. And it's not even assembly instructions. It's the operating instructions. So it wouldn't have been much use to me anyway. So I was quite proud that I managed to figure out how to assemble this without any actual instructions. Uh, which was good. Um, and I've been working on my Game Boy. Uh, I'm on the second one now, trying to install a backlight. Installed the backlight and then realized I forgot to add a voltage regulator, which isn't much of an issue because it can still run with just the backlight there. But we are talking about 30-year-old hardware. And a backlight does put additional strain onto hardware of that age and could cause it to to fail. So... A voltage regulator basically just smooths things out a little bit. I'd bought one and I completely forgot to install it. So I've had to undo everything again, desolder everything and, oh. and start again. But, but this is how we learn. And yeah. I'm actually enjoying the process. It's, uh, it, it's a lot of fun. I have to say that the, the images that you sent me via text of like the process of all this kind of mm. stuff, has, it's been really interesting to see, like really cool to see the guts of of an old Game Boy. Because I had one growing up. I I don't know. I think I still have it somewhere. I don't imagine I've thrown it out, but I don't know what box it's in. Uh, And uh, I should dig it out for you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, like I just, you know, I I know a lot more about tech now than I did then. And so Mm. at the time, I didn't think about what was inside these things. It was more about interacting with them and having fun. But absolutely, yeah. yeah. Now that I know a lot more about them, I've also not used or held or seen a Game Boy for 30 years. 
So to see right. one like out of the case and stripped and going like, what is that? Oh, that's the speaker. Okay. <laughs> Just realizing <laughs> what things are is like, okay, that's really, really interesting. And it's funny because like at the time, I remember thinking that the Game Boy was like, this is so cool. Like this is really, I'm really enjoying whatever it is. I think I remember playing Kirby a fair bit uh, yes. on, on road yeah. trips uh, with, my, with my family. Because I was able, my sister got car sick, but I was able to like, uh, play Game Boy in the car and not get seasick or road sick. So, um, so I spent a lot of time on a two hour drive for a 10 year old. It's a long time. So I remember, you know, playing on the Game Boy, but like never once was I thinking about like how the things worked or what it would be like to crack them open. Cause like I'm always, I was always so careful with my things, right? Like I didn't, yeah, I didn't want to just destroy them, you know? I'll tell you what though, Kirby was not a game that I played back when I had a Game Boy. I never, I never oh, really? had it. And I, I, I have a copy of Kirby's Dreamland right now. And I've been playing it, and it, like, it was a horrifying experience because you just, I'm, I'm playing this thing, and thinking Kirby's supposed to be the good guy. Kirby seems like the villain in this. He eats everything. <laughs> yeah. Like no matter what it is, like little ha- happy little bunny rabbits, nope, nope, just swallows them whole. Yeah. And spits them out. Like what? Am, am, am I supposed to be the, the villain or the hero in this? I don't know. So it's uh, it, it was quite a surprising experience on the first playthrough that I was not anticipating. It's one of those weird Japanese design yes. tropes where because he's so cute, <laughs> he gets away with it. But when you really <laughs> sort it down to the basics, you're right. Like he just he's like a little Pokemon that just vacuums up everything in sight. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. it's uh, I mean, like he's basically like a cute Slimer from the Ghostbusters. You know, he doesn't slime stuff, but like he he basically just eats constantly. Um, yeah. I, if I recall, I feel like you could spit stuff back out as a way to like attack yes, bad guys. That. And and also when he was eating something, he would um he would like double in size, which made him more buoyant. So you could use or it might depend on what you ate. Like if you ate a bird or you ate something like a floating jellyfish, then you would in turn float because you have the thing in your mouth. Uh, and that would allow you to then get up to higher platforms and stuff because he, he didn't fly like he he jumped around like Mario like he there's gravity yeah. involved uh, and stuff like that. But yeah, I've, I know a lot of um, friends that are Nintendo fans a uh, long time like Ryan Murphy who was on the show yeah. last week. He I mean, we've had some conversations about Kirby and, and older older games um, and I, not to not to derail us, but I have I have a an older game nod for you uh, in just in just a minute. Oh, OK. Uh, the other thing that I've been doing as well, I ended up finding and going to a place called Memory Lane. I don't know if you're familiar with it at all. No. No. So it's a 1940s style heritage site uh, along the eastern shore of Nova Scotia. And it is fantastic. They built it around 2000 because they started to realize that they were going to be losing a lot of important buildings along that eastern shore. Mm-hmm. So rather than having them all torn down with a wrecking ball, they managed to relocate them to this site and make like a very small village that's all in this 1940 style. And along with a mix of, you know, replicas and, um, and other things, like you can go and pretty much touch everything. They've got, you know, a couple of really beautiful old cars that you're allowed to sit in. There's all sorts of equipment. And as you walk into these really historic buildings... They have motion detectors that play some ambient, you know, that, well, they don't play it, but, you know, send audio to some speakers to play ambient sounds whilst you're in that building. 
and it is just phenomenal. It l- feels like you've either walked onto a very good movie set or that you have indeed traveled back through time. Very, very cool. Yeah, it's also kind of neat that the employees are wearing period costumes as well. You're kind of greeted at the Hoskins General Store as you go in, and yeah, you've got all those people there, and they've got some vintage stuff for sale in their shop as well. Uh, I managed to get myself a tin of, uh, you know, for old popcorn. It's like a 1940s-style popcorn tin. Nice. Yeah, so that that was kind of like my my little uh, treat to myself. But yeah, it's just... I, I just couldn't get over just the quality of just how well they've managed to restore everything and just the fact that you're allowed to touch stuff. So norm- normally, a lot of things, especially when I've gone to a lot of heritage stuff, especially in the UK, there's usually like a red cord that's just, you know, the little barrier and it's like, please don't touch. It's, it's the complete opposite here. And, uh, and that was a really, really fun day out. That's really cool. Uh, I'm realizing now that it's in Clam Harbor, uh, which is... Yeah. Um, it's about an hour's drive away from here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've driven past, not this particular, you know, um, memory lane, but I've, I've driven past Clam Harbor because one of my favorite hikes in the region is at Taylor's Head. And that's oh, okay. like another 30 or 40 minutes past Clam Harbor. Mm. Uh, and well, you would have been familiar with at least the beginning part of the drive because you and I h- hiked in Muscadabit Harbor a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. As I was driving past, I was seeing that there. In fact, I discovered this place by accident. Because I was coming back from somewhere and I don't know where. It may even have been when I, uh, I was coming back from, um, from Cape Breton, possibly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, can't, I can't recall why I would be any further, that, that far out otherwise. But I remember making a wrong turn, turning down this road and just ending up at this place. But it was closed. And I looked through and you could see some 1940-style petrol pumps. Like old school SO and which looked fantastic and i was just kind of peering over going okay this is a place i need to come back to when it's in season and uh and so yeah and i went on just gorgeous weather and then straight afterwards i went down to clam harbor beach nice and was able to go swimming in the ocean wow it was cold I was but it saying. was fantastic yeah <laughs> for the for those listening not realizing where we are north atlantic like 45 <laughs> 45 degrees north we're talking the water in August is warm at 14 degrees. <laughs> so yeah. so now it would be it would be chilly. Yeah, but no, it was it was so nice to be able to do that. Um but if anybody does happen to be either in Nova Scotia or visiting and you have like a spare couple of hours, it's definitely worth a, a drop in. That's awesome. I uh, I'll have to check that out because I I often will do a hike at Taylor's Head and mm. It's not a long hike. It's a good part of the day because it's a good hour and a half to drive there one way. Uh, and it's a two and a half hour hike. But you're just, you feel like you've already gone out, you know, like, and you don't necessarily want to go straight home. So yeah. depending on when, you know, what the hours are, it would be a nice stop. And while there are beaches at Taylor's Head to relax after a hike, it would be also nice to go to Clam Harbor and, and have a larger beach, um, depending on what you wanted. Because I'm not, I'm not someone that necessarily just lounges on the beach. Like I tend to like to stroll on the beach uh, or uh, I do like to swim sometimes. But like I said, sometimes it's not always um, the warmest where I was at gaff point a couple of years ago and I went swimming there and it was all I could to stay in the water. Like you basically had to go numb to stay in the water because it was just, it was freezing. It was a really (laughs) hot day though. So it it was nice to have that kind of refresher. That that was, that was what it was like for me here. Yeah. I I did try to go to another beach just the other week, but, the, and even though it was a hot day, 
the wind was just blowing really hard and so like you're just cold just yeah the, the breeze. yeah it can get, and it's it can just get like light. yeah i'm not i'm not doing any more than just waiting at this point so i i lucked out and it's funny that you're talking about being outside because i went for a hike in duncan's cove last thursday completely on a whim uh i hadn't planned on it because the weather forecast was terrible and it was supposed to rain uh and it had been foggy <laughs> And then I was, I dropped Steven off after we went to the gym that morning. And I said, like, I wasn't going to do much today, but it looks really nice out right now. And he had mentioned that in talking with his, his wife, that, uh, she said that the rain had been pushed until like later this evening. I thought, well, I don't have a lot of time because I had to do some work. So I only had like the afternoon. I couldn't like spend the morning driving somewhere. And Duncan's Cove is close. You and I have been there. Oh yeah. We, yeah. And so I took the time to, to do it and I was anticipating it to be windy. I was expecting it to be foggy. Uh, I knew it was going to be, you know, potentially sunny at some point. So I was all prepared for it, but I ultimately ended up leaving my larger like hiking hat in the car. Cause like, I don't want this to blow around constantly. It's going to drive me crazy. <laughs> and weirdly, which, and you having lived here for a while now, will understand how weird this is hiking Duncan's Cove. It was a little breezy, but I mean, gentle and knowing where that is with the open ocean a non-windy day in nova scotia when you're hiking on the coast is like weird <laughs> it's, yeah. it's really strange and so it wasn't terribly hot it was like 18 degrees but it was really high humidity so like i was a sweaty mess by the time i got to the point and i had a picnic lunch and for folks in our discord i've shared some images uh, and i'll share more but it was just a really nice a really nice outing you know it was nice to kind of get out of the house it was the first hike of the season uh, and I anticipate doing doing more. And thankfully, it was not nearly as wet as I thought it was going to be because uh, Duncan's Cove being a, a coastal hike, everything around here is basically granite right down into the ocean. There's maybe six inches of topsoil in some places. And along the Duncan's Cove Trail has been washed away and you're walking on mostly like packed, packed dirt or or uh, rock. So it wasn't a muddy hike despite all the rain that we had recently. And so that was, that was a really nice experience. It was nice to, to kind of get out. I do. I think that the next time, uh, and you and I've talked about this, you know, off mic, but the next time I go, we should try to go together because I do find as much as I like these kind of things, it's always fun to share them with somebody. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, especially if it's a hike that you haven't done before, you know, like if I can take you somewhere that you've not been, then Oh yeah, definitely, that, uh, definitely down for that. Yeah, I mean, we, we do keep threatening to to do this. So yeah, it's one of those. I talk, <laughs> I made a joke about this at the end of the last episode where I was talking about you know oh yeah we should do that soon and it just never happens. Um, but part of the, part of the challenge, I mean, obviously you know people have schedules, but part of the challenge around here is the weather. And it's you know I was speaking with somebody the other day and they were they were planning a Sunday beach day, but then they woke up Sunday morning and the fog was still hanging around until like one o'clock. Well, like you can't go to the beach in the fog. If, if that's not your, I mean, some people can, if you don't care, like if you're going to walk the dog, who cares? But if you're going to like sun and swim and, and enjoy the beach, a foggy beach is not exactly the most relaxing, you know, because <laughs> uh, it can be chilly. It depends on, it depends on what's going on. And I find that yeah. with hiking, it's the same thing. You can plan ahead, but if it's either rained, like, you know, a hurricane the day before or the day of, then like your hike is not going to be a fun experience depending on where you're hiking. Um, so I've got, I've got some some ideas for like a, I want to say weatherproof, but like something that'll have better luck, I think in the long run. Sounds good. Anyway, we should uh, jump into some email here because uh, we actually have a couple people that have written in with recommendations, which is fantastic. Uh, always mm. appreciate this kind of stuff. Uh, and funny enough, the last time that uh, Alistair with an I wrote in, Alistair with an A was on the show. So this first one <laughs> is from Alistair with an I. Uh, recommendations and thanks. Dear Joel and Alistair, 
First of all, I'd like to thank you for the recommendations you gave me earlier this year. I've seen a few already, but since then, I've also found a few other good suggestions. My personal favorite is Sweet Tooth. It's a post-apocalyptic Netflix original series, although slow-paced at times, the backdrops are amazing enough to distract you. The plot is unique and interesting, although the cliffhangers are killing me near the end of the season. It is still a great show, and the characters are... As the title suggests, very sweet, and some of the character arcs are incredible. Thanks, Alistair with an I. I really enjoy that they they signed it Alistair with an I. <laughs> <laughs> I think too. it's a nickname we gave them the last time they were on the show. <laughs> uh, and you and I were bopping this around just ahead of the podcast. And they, I believe, wrote in on episode 433 back in February. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we talked about the Bad Batch, but then also recommended a few things for them to speak about. And then a few episodes before that on episode 405, also an Alistair with an A show, you and I actually talked about Sweet Tooth, the TV series. So for folks that want a more in-depth idea or what we thought about Sweet Tooth, you can go and, and listen to episode 405. I'll have a link in the show notes. Sweet Tooth is a pretty good series. I haven't finished it, I will confess. I think a lot of that has to do with paralyzing choice on Netflix. Uh, sometimes I find the Netflix originals are good, but they have some things that pull me out of it. And then the good does not outweigh the bad. Uh, or during the pandemic, I often found my mood was just kind of like, I don't know if I want post-apocalyptic high stress shows. Like I, I kind of want, <laughs> you know, because so for for context, the post-apocalyptic nature of Sweet Tooth, uh, which was ba is based on a series of comics written long before the COVID-19 pandemic. There is a virus that affects the children in this world and they're born with animal attributes. Think like puppy dog noses and ears, antlers. Uh, Gus, Sweet Tooth, the main character of the series, has antlers uh, and a heightened sense of smell and really like sugar, hence his nickname. And so uh, it's subtle and it's really well done. The makeup and effects in the show are are very, very simple. In some cases, the characters are fully CG. Like one of the gopher characters is like not even human looking and doesn't speak English. Like he just kind of like, he just looks like a toddler that's a gopher that wears clothes. It's, it's really, it's got some weird, weird stuff in it. And I'll say, I still recommend it because uh, it is a very unique concept. Uh, I haven't read the comics, but I did enjoy the high production value and the way that they kind of like lay out the story. There's a narrator too, which kind of has, it gives it kind of like a children's book vibe sometimes, but then it gets darker than you expect it to. Hence like some of the, the way that the adults treat the, the global pandemic of these, um, these animals. And, yeah. and it's created a lot of like regimes and military-esque type situations. And so it's, it can be kind of stressful at times. Um, the good part of it is that uh, Christian Convery, who plays Gus slash Sweet Tooth, and Nanzo uh, Anuzi, uh, Big Man or Tommy Jeopard, uh, are two of the main characters in the show. And the acting from both of them is just phenomenal. It's over the top. I can't, and Christian Convery is like 12. He's he's very, very good. He's probably more than 12 now, but he was 12 around the time that they made the, the, the series. Um, the thing that pulled me out of it was that uh, I find that there are some really flat, written, predictable one-note characters. Uh, characters like Bear, who's a girl that they meet along the way. I don't necessarily think it's the actor's fault. I just find that the lines that she is delivering are basically the same thing over and over again. It's like an episode of Arrow, you know? Oh, right, yeah. And so I, I found that kind of pulled me out of it. Because you just you get frustrated with these characters not moving anywhere. Um, and then the villain of the series is General Abbott. And 
he's so serious, but then also is just so cartoony. He looks like Dr. Robotnik from, <laughs> uh, from Sonic. So he's really, it's this really strange, like visual vibe of you expect him to be do goofy, you know, but then he's mm. super serious and kind of like almost Nazi-esque and you're just like, eh, I don't know if I need this. And so I just never returned to it. It's still on my list. Like I haven't deleted it from my much, my watch list on Netflix. It just kind of hovers in the background until I decide to get into it. Um, but as far as dystopian feature drama goes, it's a decently fresh take. Uh, and as I mentioned, it's based on a series of comics. I'll have a link to all that in the in the show notes as well. Ha, since, have you watched it? I don't remember on that episode whether we had both watched it or whether you've watched it since. I had not. And uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm glad that you shared this email with me as well, because I'd completely forgotten about it, in all honesty. I, it completely slipped my mind. And so uh, Alistair writing in and just uh, you know, bringing this up, thank you so much. Because now I can actually go back and, and, and give it a watch. Next email comes in from Gold. Two free games on Steam. Hi, Joel and Alistair. I found two new small indie games on Steam. Both of them are free. Lay and Greed. Both games are from Objective 3D. I have only played Lay, and it seems like something Megan would enjoy. Greed is a dungeon crawler type game. Would love to hear your thoughts. Gold. Uh, we'll have links to both Lay and Greed on steampowered.com. So I haven't played either. Uh, I did take a look at Lay and uh, it looks interesting from the art style. And mm. the kind of summary on the Steam page is immerse yourself in this adventure of poetic and complementative exploration as Elsie, a young explorer full of energy. This mysterious world awaits you to overflow with color and life. Lay is an exploration third-person game created by the students from Objective 3D. You'll have to travel the skies on your manta ray, explore the islands that keep the secrets of this world, as well as resolve mysteries that will bring back life to the world. So it sounds like a pretty passive exploration game. Like, doesn't sound like there's a lot of enemies. You know, it's more like whimsical things like sea creatures that fly through the air. Uh, and yeah. the artwork is very cartoony. It looks like it's... um. I would say inspired by things like, uh, oh, what's the animal Animal Crossing? Like it looks like kind of Animal Crossing esque, very Nintendo kid friendly sort of deal. Yeah, I think he's right when he says that it's something that Megan would enjoy because, uh, in addition to being a little bit like Animal Crossing, which I know she also loves, it does have some vibes of Spiritfarer, which is a game that when she was streaming on Twitch was you know was one of the ones that she was really invested in. It definitely has that kind of style. She spoke about that here on the show as well. Uh, mm, but that fair. does not surprise me <laughs> no no no. i've had that on my list as well i've got access to that on, on game pass I, I think something to bear in mind as well is that this is from objective 3d which i had never heard of and i looked up and they are a school so it, you know the, the people aren't going to be submitting stuff that wouldn't be you know that would be crossing a, spe a particular yeah. line but yeah it's, it's a school in france so montpellier and angeline uh, i don't know how to pronounce the the name of that place uh, but some of the students have gone on to work on some pretty big films because they, they teach like film animation uh, visual effects as well as video game uh, art and design and programming and things uh, but they've had people work on games like assassin's creed odyssey uh, movies like uh, guardians of the galaxy volume 2 deadpool 2 wonder woman and even working on stranger things so you know some talented people uh, have definitely come from there 
I mean, hey, the games are free. So I mean, if it if it at all, yeah. kind of, you know, tweaks your interest. Uh, Greed, I didn't see much about. It just looks like a pretty standard dungeon crawler. I'd imagine it's mostly about mechanics and less about story. It's also very fast paced. Yes. Yeah. The the like dungeon crawlers quickly. these days really are. Yeah. I I find sometimes I'm a little bit too old for that. <laughs> like just <laughs> I mean it's a lot of flashing lights and explosions and like there's something about the slower pace of that kind of stuff that I usually enjoy more. Um I will mention that the Steam Summer Sale is on now through July seventh. Uh, so if you're looking to pick up a couple new games on Steam or if you've had your eye on things for a while, there are games between ten percent and fifty percent off, sometimes as much as eighty-four percent off or I don't know why I said 84 as a random number, but like there are really big discounts on some older titles that you might not have been able to catch. Uh, or if you're on the fence about something, sometimes a, you know, you hear good things and bad things about something like No Man's Sky. Well, when it's only $28, you're like, well, like that's a risk kind of worth taking perhaps. And so in our Discord, I threw in uh, yesterday a, a couple of links to some games that have either got their own channels in the Discord, things that we've talked about on the show before, things like City Skylines, Darkest Dungeon is one of Lou's favorites, uh, No Man's Sky, T- Tiny Tina's Wonderland, which is from the creators of uh, Borderlands, the Borderlands franchise is on sale, Core Keeper, which is similar to Minecraft, but also has like a pixel art vibe, Dorf Romantic is a puzzle game, Foundation is a world building game set in medieval times, like there's all kinds of stuff that you can see on sale during the Steam Summer Sale. So if you already have a Steam library and you're looking to maybe add a few things to it, then then check that out. Uh, and sometimes like you can also like do a, a bit to support some indie developers because uh, these sales kind of help their games kind of like reach the top of the the most frequently purchased list because they can come down to like a a no-brainer price like something that's 14 or 20 dollars that's 50 or 25 percent off like that's really cheap you know and so sometimes you can end up supporting some game developers and this brings me to uh to call back the retro game vibe that i mentioned to you earlier alistair yes last week on the show ryan and i were talking about some new stuff coming to xbox and xbox game pass uh i have access to teenage mutant ninja turtles shredder's revenge which is a brand new game published this year but it is in the ilk of Turtles in Time. So it's it's pixel graphics. It's all side-scroller, kind of beat them up like those uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles games, one of which I believe you have as an arcade uh, in your in your home. Uh, it's actually includes both. So Shredder's Revenge is new. It's a new story. It's a new fight. You can play as, I believe you can play as April and you can play as Casey Jones. Yep, and Splinter as well. They They, they had as well, yeah. That has got uh, two-player couch co-op. Yes. Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, I've been following this game throughout its development since it was initially announced. Uh, I've I've been part of their Discord and uh, and you know looking at all the updates. And then they announced that it was out right in the middle of me being busy with everything, and I still have not had chance to actually sit down and and play it. But I have four days off now. And that is like right at the very top of my priority list at the moment. But the animation is slick. They've really done a wonderful job at, at honoring the style that came before, whilst allowing to give it a little bit more of a modern touch in the way that each character fights, like has their own style that's true to what they are like as a character. So Michelangelo is a little bit more whimsical with his, uh, his fighting style, for example. 
whereas Leonardo will obviously be a lot more straight and uh yeah the the way that Michelangelo walks around on the street I thought was kind of cool like that he has kind of like a yeah. strut which is fun uh it's part of the steam sale too it's on sale for 10 percent off I mean it's a brand new game so you're not going to find it for half price or anything but yeah uh something that I was curious about it's got a uh, remote play I don't know if it's cross-platform or not I didn't even realize it was on steam uh, I, I knew that it would be, I knew it would be on Game Pass, which I have Game Pass Ultimate, which leads me to believe I should probably have access to it on the PC as well as the Xbox. Well, if it is cross-platform, then that'll be fantastic. I haven't actually checked into that yet, but uh, I'm going to be getting mine on the Switch because it is available uh, with the Switch as well. Nice. Do you, out of curiosity, do you have a controller for your computer? Like, could you, I'm just thinking like if we could stream it. I have the ability to uh capture from any i've not i've not tried capturing from the switch mm. but otherwise i should be able to but otherwise i do have controllers that I've, I've got two uh playstation controllers which are fully compatible with my computer yeah i mean i don't want to buy it on pc right it's like it's like so yeah. if, like i hopefully there'd be a way for us because you could i don't know i'm hoping i'm hoping these days that th these developers would be like yes we'd like to be able to you know cross-platform i hope that there isn't those restrictions because it would be nice to be able to use my xbox or use the game pass ultimate i don't really care where i play if i'm streaming uh <laughs> because um because that would be a, a fun a fun time especially because um and i can point you in, in this direction too i know that steven has figured out or at least has the process sorted like i don't know if he's done it yet but he streams mm -hmm. from his his switch he's he has the ability yeah. to i think is is what what i'm getting at I, I've got basically an HDMI input to my computer and I can stream from another Mac that I've got. I can uh, connect to my PlayStation 3. I've just not tried it with the Switch yet. Uh, so I don't see why it wouldn't work. So moving on to the main discussion this week, I've been waiting to talk about this because uh, it's been something that I've been watching and enjoying and wanting to dive into. Uh, we're going to talk about Obi-Wan Kenobi for the main discussion. Uh, so spoilers ahead, and I'm going to give you plenty of warning because we're going to insert like a little left-hand turn just before we get to Kenobi. But I want to let people know we are talking about Kenobi because I feel like fans of the Sizzle Cafe are just like, how come Joel hasn't mentioned Kenobi in like six weeks? <laughs> because, <laughs> because it's like the biggest Star Wars thing that's happened in years and, and everybody's losing their mind over it and Joel has said nothing. Um, but uh, before we get to that, you, you've seen another movie that's on my list, which is Lightyear so yes fill us in like how was that again spoiler free for this one because it just came out on friday absolutely yeah i had no intentions to to spoil this at all but uh, it was a birthday treat to myself uh because i'm just a huge fan of pixar i i love so much of their stuff and this is still up there uh, as a really good film they they have an interesting little bit at the beginning where it talks about uh, it as in just a text on the screen uh, as a little preamble, just saying that they had this was, you know, th th there was toys that were out in 1995, and Andy had bought a Buzz Lightyear, and that this is the movie that he saw that the toys were based on, which uh, is is an interesting way of framing it right before the film, and it's it's just it's fun. I. Realize when I watch the trailer later, the trailer is a little bit spoilery. So I would say if you've not seen the trailer in a long time or not at all, just see the movie without doing so. Um, there's 
some really heartwarming moments. There's some absolutely hilarious moments just in the way that Pixar really do well. And Pixar are one of the only studios that consistently managed to make me cry. I, there is a moment in the film, and I'm not even going to mention where, uh, but definite massive lump in my throat uh, during it. The uniforms that he's wearing as well, because obviously you've got the, the Star Command uniforms, uh, there is some variation to what we see in the toys. And you know, they have a, a little, there's a little bit of a Star Trek kind of vibe going on where they have different colors to them. And I really, really like that idea uh, of that. And um, you end up with just a ragtag crew that he works with as well. And so there's a mix of experienced uh, rangers and, uh, and inexperienced ones. And it all just comes together really, really well. There was, however, I, it's weird, just before I went to see it, a YouTuber that I watch called Vote Saxon 7 I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy before. Mm-mm, no. The name is actually a Doctor Who reference. And he's known for doing a lot of toy reviews, especially for Doctor Who toys. He's done Back to the Future ones as well and, and things. So he's somebody I've liked watching for a very long time. And he posted a video saying Lightyear, and then in block capitals, destroyed my childhood. And it was one of those, I'm going to watch that after I've seen the film. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And and I was watching it and just going, you know what? It it didn't for me. I I don't feel that that's the case. Uh, There's certainly things in there that, um, like I, I know that if I was a kid, watching that in 1995, I'd have bought a Buzz Lightyear toy too. I mean, I did from just watching Toy Story, but yeah, that's by the by. Um, I also like that they've kept a kind of 1995 sci-fi aesthetic. So when you look at the screens on like all the ships and stuff, they are CRTs. They're the kind of screens that they would have used in a live action production right? in a way, which is a really nice touch as well. Uh, but yeah, there's been a few people who've had uh, problems with stuff there's there's also and, and this is where there's been a lot of talk that i've seen online because there's uh there's complaints about the fact that there is a same-sex relationship in there and i'm like i don't care yeah it would have been you know not something that you would necessarily have seen in 1995 but you know what i'm glad that that representation is there and that it's just like this is just a thing yep. because it is you know, and, and I, I think that it is, is right for them to do. And they, they don't bring attention to it in the sense of, oh, you know, we're, we're pushing this. It's just, it's just a natural thing. You know, people have same-sex relationships and they just, it's just treated as normal in the way that it should be. And I, I thought that was, that was very nicely done. It's always nice to see that. Yeah. One of my favorite examples of that in recent years is from The Dragon Prince in Netflix, where you've got like when I say there's same sex relationships, like there's two Queens to one of the kingdoms and they just come in and they're honored as the two Queens of the kingdoms and respected. And like, it's not even no one bats an eyelash, right? You've got multicultural and, and you know, like interracial marriages in the main storyline. And I'm talking even something as far as like, you know, elves and humans, you know, like someone with horns having a relationship with someone that doesn't have them, you know, like just sometimes really, you know, fantasy stuff like that. And then other times it's yeah. just as simple as, you know, the King being black and the queen being white and just no one bats an eyelash. And I love yeah. that kind of normalcy. And 
I feel like when the show is good and they don't need to purposely draw attention to it for the, we'll say the fervor that it kind of generates online, then mm. that to me is the proper way to do it. You're not using it to get attention. You're yeah. using it to promote representation, which I think is it's it. You see it more and more, you know, yeah. you see it, you see it more and more, which is fantastic. Yeah. And, and Pixar definitely are the, the kind of studio who just approach that the right way as mm -hmm. well. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool. I'm looking forward to seeing it. It's on, it's on my list. I, I, yeah. I feel like it's ahead of, of Jurassic Park or Jurassic World. What's it? Revolution? Reunion? Uh, Revelation? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't uh, remember. No, it's, uh, I, I, I see, I've seen it. I, I Dominion. Saw it Dominion? I, I forgot. Dominion. Dominion. That's it. Yeah. Yes. Dominion. Yeah. <laughs> There's six I, films. I, I, Give me a break, folks. Uh, and I've seen it, and I still forgot what the the last bit was. Yeah. Um, I didn't mind that. I I actually did enjoy and and like that they they have the cast from the Jurassic World series, and then we've obviously got returning characters from the Jurassic Park series. And for a large portion of the film, they're doing their own things. They're completely separate from each other, and they they kind of bump into each other later on. And I. I really appreciate that they did it that way. Nice. Um, but yeah, and it's, I, 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 overall, I thought that it worked out well. You know, I mean, there's certainly things where you perhaps you kind of think, oh, I wish they'd done this and that. But as a conclusion to the franchise, I'm happy with it. And I do think it's worth watching, especially if you do enjoy the, the original trilogy. I think, I think it works. Shout out to a creator on TikTok, Straw Hat Goofy, who does not think it's the end of the franchise. It might be the end of yeah. the Jurassic franchise, but I would imagine there's probably going to be, oh, I don't know, Cretaceous Park. <laughs> I, I made this exact point to a, a colleague of mine as well. You know, that we'll probably just have like Cretaceous Planet as yeah. the next uh, trilogy. Oh, gosh. Like, yeah. I, on one <laughs> hand, like, I can appreciate that, you know, I like a good dinosaur movie and I do like the Jurassic World series, actually. Um, I was surprised how much I liked the second of the series, but I really liked the mm. first one. I thought it was well done. Uh, yeah. And. As I mentioned with Brockett a couple of weeks ago, I have an issue separating Chris Pratt from the projects that he does now. <laughs> uh, but but I adore Bryce Dallas Howard. I will watch her in anything. I will watch her in anything she stars in or directs. Like what? Like I'm just I'm on board. I just I really enjoy her screen presence and acting and everything else. Uh, and like yeah. sign me up to whatever she does for Star Wars. Like I'm 100 yeah. percent on board for that. Well, whilst this should probably be an internet minute thing, have you seen her TED talk about uh, living in the public eye on in social media? Not the whole TED talk, but I saw the like the highlight clip or the intro clip from right. on Instagram. She, I follow her on Instagram, and she shared it on Instagram, mm. and it was like I re I should go back and watch the whole thing because it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I, agree. I, I highly recommend it. I think it is a brilliant talk from her. So speaking of Star Wars, this is where, again, I will give you some spoiler warning. Most people that are following the show, I'm sure, have um, finished it. If not, you've had to hide from the internet for the last week because it, <laughs> it has been everywhere. Like number one on Twitter, number one on Disney Plus. Like it just it Obi-Wan Kenobi, the series has just dismantled the internet. Uh, everyone is talking about this and um, I don't normally delve into like those reaction videos and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, it's been fun, you know, to see like either little TikTok clips or Instagram clips or even clips on YouTube 
uh, of people reacting to, especially the finale, and we'll get to that, but just in general, the, the, the reaction to the show overall from people that present balanced opinions, I think are, are really, really fun. And I say that on purpose because there's, there's been a split. There's been a lot of hate for it. Star Wars fans, unfortunately, over the last few years have become toxic or have been known to be toxic. And I want to say not all of them. There's a, there's a small vocal minority that give the rest of the Star Wars fans a bad name. Uh, There's a little slogan that I'd seen online, uh, uh, quite a while ago, but it was something along the lines of, um, you're not a true Star Wars fan unless you hate Star Wars. Yeah. So I, I <laughs> and I don't subscribe to that. And I'm no, I'm no, not at all. But it's just, it's more tongue in cheek at, at that particular minority. I will share a, a link in it and the, the name of the, the group that I really enjoy. And they're real nerdy. Like sometimes even, you know, their online critiques are a little bit awkward, uh, I'll say. Um, mm. I think it's uh, Blind Wave is the name of the uh, their reaction, and they re- they do more than just Star Wars. They react to Stranger Things. They do like all the nerdy stuff. And it's the four of them doing like a watch through, and you don't have to listen to the whole episode. Like they sort of give you the highlights of them reacting to the key points throughout. You know, a, an hour long drama. They'll give you like twenty five minutes of them reacting, and then they do another twenty five minutes of like talking about it, having just immediately seen it which I think is an interesting way to do it. On this show, of course, I watch something and then I have like a day or two to think about notes and ideas and stuff like that. Um, mm. So you've seen Kenobi all the way through, right? Yes, I have. Yes. So as far as your initial kind of like overall thoughts, like good, bad, would watch again, that kind of stuff, like where do you land with Kenobi? I think if I just had to limit it to one word, I would say satisfying. Mm, interesting. I, I, I felt very satisfied after watching the entire thing through it's it's one of those those gray areas where we know that there was things that happened between the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy uh and it's one of those you're kind of okay just trying to fill in some blanks from the little bits of information but actually seeing everything and just the sort of detail that they did and just filling in some of those gaps and, and answering some questions like the fact that Leia knew Obi-Wan and yet that was never something we really saw on screen. It's definitely interesting. And I, I, I just thought that the way that it was presented, um, the characterization of Obi-Wan and where he's at in his life uh, was really good. And it just bridged that gap between the two trilogies in a way that I, I was really satisfied with. I really like the offshoot stories. And I yeah. feel like the offshoot stories of stuff that we've not seen, even when they affect like major canon, like, you know, um, Obi-Wan Kenobi does, when you compare mm-hmm. it to something like The Mandalorian, right? Which is mostly new characters for the, for the most part. Uh, yes. You know, especially in season one. Uh, I feel like Kenobi, it's a difficult thing to do because um, as with, you know, um, other co-hosts like Lou who don't like prequels, like I get it, you know, like you, you know, going in that Obi-Wan survives, you know, that Vader Vader survives because they're in movies after, you know, (laughs) so like you, like there's not a lot of stakes, but that's where they can introduce new Star Wars characters that there are, there is peril addressed to that. Um, what I find so interesting about these particular bits in the timeline is 
uh, and I got this from the cartoons as well. Like once the cartoons get out of the first season aimed at really young kids and they start to build more of a season long arc, I find that with something like Rebels, which I didn't always like, the through line of the establishment of the rebellion and how it all came to be and how these little pockets of of people helping Jedi and and banding up against the Empire eventually organized and became the rebellion that fought against the Empire in episode four, I feel like it's just an interesting look behind the scenes of the things that you just are presented with and accept when you watch Star Wars A New Hope, which is like good guys, bad guys. Okay, I get it. But this is like, how did they get to be the good guys? How did the empire become the bad guys? How did the good guys let the empire get so big in the first place? Like, and that's some of the things that even the prequel films address, right? And so while the show Obi-Wan Kenobi for me doesn't have, it's not without its flaws. And in the end, overall, I really like the series because I'm a patient Star Wars fan. I'm a patient person anyway, but I did not snap judgment on the first episode because it's a mini series. There's six. So I thought about it like this is a six hour movie, right? Yeah. This yeah. it's, it's not going to be 10 episodes. It's, it's not going to be three films. Like there's going to be more time for character development. Hence the name of the show. <laughs> like you understand that it's going to be an arc that Obi-Wan Kenobi has to follow. Uh, and so there are always some tropes in star Wars, uh, even you know, even hard-nosed fans and, and apologist fans have to admit, like, Jar Jar Binks was stupid, right? But mm. you don't hate The Phantom Menace because Jar Jar Binks was in it. There's enough cool and there's enough other really neat stuff happening in The Phantom Menace that you kind of forgive the cringy stuff. And it's all throughout Star Wars. Like, there is some there is some weird stuff in even the original trilogies. And, and people are just like, ah, whatever, it's a sci-fi opera. Like, you just, you kind of forgive the the shortcomings you know like yeah. yoda is beloved now but i wonder how many people thought yoda was a weird stupid freaky little puppet teaching you know the force to luke you know like it, it you know I, that's that's how i felt when i watched it as a kid when i saw um episode five i i just really didn't get yoda and was just like he's just weird you he's know? weird and old and it doesn't and yeah. yes he 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 lifts the the x-wing out of the swamp but like okay so he can float stuff like it, you don't see him as like a great <laughs> jedi right but yeah what you get in the prequels you understand a little bit more about yoda what you get from a long stint through the clone wars is a lot more yoda and and it mm. it kind of cements your respect to like oh okay like he's old in the films but like back in the day like he was a force to be reckoned with and in a good way like a force of good a force of reason a voice of peace and all this kind yeah. of stuff but but not afraid to pull a lightsaber when he wanted to and and i feel like that kind of stuff is is the kind of satisfaction to use your word that we get from these extended <laughs> stories um, so I'll start with maybe the not great, the kind of stuff that pulled me out of uh, Kenobi. And I don't have a long list. Um, Reva has unfortunately been a character of controversy um, for no good reason. All the reasons that it's controversial are stupid. Uh, and and I won't entertain them and I won't repeat them on the show. But as a character concept, Reva is a really cool idea. The idea that a youngling at the Jedi Temple during anakin's attack in revenge of the sith when he goes in and kills the kids and uh, she's somehow survived 
the story in the show is that she played dead and that she survived among the bodies of her fallen children, which is traumatic. Uh, and yeah. ultimately because of her contempt for the Jedi Knights that weren't there to protect the younglings, she didn't know they were already dead. Like she didn't know that the clones had turned on them. Right. All she saw was Vader, not Va Well, she saw Vader, but she saw Anakin Skywalker who she thought was there to help them kill them all. So she didn't know that the Jedi protectors that were supposed to be there were already shot from the clones. Uh, so she grows up hating the Jedi for abandoning her, hating Anakin and Vader for killing all of her friends and vengeance seduces her to the dark side. She becomes an inquisitor and her whole mission as an inquisitor is later revealed to be she's trying to get close enough to Vader by becoming one of his higher ups so that she can off him. She wants to kill him to to seek and execute her revenge on her childhood. And while I think that's a great idea, I think it was poorly executed and the character is poorly written, especially the dialogue. And that's nothing new for Star Wars. There's clunky dialogue everywhere. But I feel like the clunky dialogue for this particular character really did a disservice. And unfortunately, people piled on for all the wrong reasons. And for the first few episodes of the series, I was laying a lot of it at the feet of Moses Ingram. I didn't feel like she was bringing the presence needed to be a menacing inquisitor. Uh, that later changed in the finale when she has to do some emotional work around um, Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi and her failing to assassinate Vader and her questioning, basically like her arc is this long ve lifetime vengeance to try to kill Vader. She fails at it. Uh, but then she then tries to continue that vengeance by killing Luke Skywalker, but couldn't do it. Couldn't follow through with it because I think she realized that she was becoming Vader. Like here she stands over Luke with a lit lightsaber and realizes crap. Like this is exactly the position that I was in, except for I was Luke and Vader was me in terms of the, the, you know, mirror of the situation. And so she doesn't follow yeah. through with it. And I have problems with that anyway. I don't think she should have been able to get that close to Luke. I, I feel like her being able to go to Tatooine, know that Luke is layer is um, Vader's son and is still alive with all that information is bullshit. Like I, it's a huge <laughs> plot hole that I find really problematic. What I, but then there's also things that from those series of scenes, that serve Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm -hmm. Obi-Wan Kenobi has been fighting against Reva and running from Reva the entire series and gives her what she wants. Like he peacefully surrenders himself to bring Vader down to the surface of, of one of the planets. And he says to her, you're not bringing me to Vader. I'm bringing Vader to you. And like there are moments between Reva and Obi-Wan that cement his peaceful nature like his his pension to resolve conflict or set wheels in motion that are not what you expect and in the final scene with Riva after you know she confronts herself and re and is worried and even asks Obi-Wan Kenobi like am I Vader like have I become 
the man that I've hated my entire life? And he says, no, you haven't chosen that path. You chose to return to the light. But like, as far as we know, people can't do that. (laughs) Once you (laughs) follow the dark path forever, will it, you know, dictate your destiny? Like that's kind of how this goes. Is is that true though? Because isn't the whole point of episode six that Vader eventually, when he has to choose between Luke and, uh, and Sidious that, you know, he then kind of just turns on his master and, as he's dying, like he's he's kind of turned to the light there, and then returns as a force ghost and stuff. So, you know, so it's yes, it's kind of stated that that is possible. But is it more just the time frame that you're talking about, where it seems to be more of a, a quicker? It's the or? it's the time frame, and it's also he's special. Like he's supposed to be the chosen one. He's supposed to be the one that will bring balance to the force. It's not that everybody can do it. Ah, uh, so the exception to the rule. Right. Yeah. Like, but he's supposed to be the one that can do it. Not everybody can just flip flop back and forth. I mean, it ends up being a lot of gray stuff later on too, because like you've got in the, in the, the new trilogy, I mean, Ray is the granddaughter of Palpatine and chooses the name Skywalker, but then like, she doesn't exactly walk the super light side of stuff either. You know, like there's a lot of back and forth there and, and I think the idea behind all those trilogies, which I think these series gives us more of a window into the grayness of the Jedi and gray Jedi are a thing. I didn't realize this until some of the, you know, some of the social media that I've been consuming from people that are way more steeped in star Wars lore than I am, but things like a a gray Jedi would be someone that's a Jedi Knight, but is not, or, or not a Jedi Knight. They are a Jedi, but they're not part of the council. Like they're not part of the the Jedi Knight organization. They're kind of their own thing. Kind of think about it like a like a lone gunman, you know, in a, in a western. Yeah. Like they're not the sheriff. They're not above killing anybody, so they're not a good guy, good guy. But the people that they kill are probably really evil sons of bitches, right? So, so it's like, you know, it's like it's not necessarily an like anti hero. <laughs> sort of well yeah I, I would call dexter an anti-hero but like not oh yeah, like, true, yeah. it's it's one of those things where they're just a little bit outside of like wolverine like wolverine is a hero but he kills people <laughs> you like, know yeah uh and yeah. i and i feel like that's kind of like this gray jedi idea questionable and tactics i think that's what they were kind of aiming for for yeah. for reva but i don't think they landed very well with it again i feel like uh ingram kind of um brought herself to me uh, higher up as far as like a better actor and 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 ha- i she has more respect from me than she did at the beginning and i don't necessarily lay that at the feet of the acting i think it's the writing for the character i think it's the the timing of all of this i i feel like it yeah. could have been better handled um th- but we do throughout this still get some incredible scenes including the one where she tries to kill vader and fails and he basically battles her without a lightsaber for the first half of it, never draws his own, ends up stealing half of hers. She's got like a double bladed thing. And so he breaks it in half, has her dead to rights, tosses her one back again and says, keep coming, kid. Like he j- he toys with her like a cat with a yeah. mouse the entire yeah. time. And he even reveals to her that he's known about her plot the entire time that she's been part of it. He's just been using her anger as a tool and just like pointing her in different directions to do his bidding. And he's been manipulating her this whole time. Like the fact that Vader twists and manipulates people so well in, in the series is just really, really well done. And um, so ultimately 
like I I got some more respect for Riva as a character by the end of it. I appreciated more what the Riva character did for Obi-Wan Kenobi than what the Riva character did for themselves. And ultimately yeah. what we get at the very end is Obi-Wan Kenobi forgiving her for causing all of this. Like she's the one that kidnapped Leia. She's the one that put all of the things, all the plot points in this series were all sparked by Re uh, Riva's ambitions to, you know, rise the ranks of the inquisitors and eventually kill vader and it caused all of the shit that obi-wan has had to deal with in the entire series yeah especially as the inquisitors had pretty much given up on on obi-wan they're just kind of like yeah we're, we're we're done with that that's just a thing of the past yeah yeah and she won't let it rest because she knows vader's hatred of him like she's she's trying to manipulate vader in order to keep that thread going right and then Vader's like, you played yourself. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, that's all I have to say uh, about Reva, which I thought was going to be a lot shorter. But hey, yeah. you're, you're a fan of the Citadel Cafe listing. You're not surprised. Um, <laughs> the other the other things that I, I found a little bit disappointing were I was hoping for more Vader. I know the show is not called Vader. Um, there's a lot of fans calling for a show <laughs> called Vader. Um, Hayden Christensen has said, like, I would love to do that. Like, yeah, sign me up. Yeah because Hayden Christensen was reprising his role and this is post Mustafar. Like he's, he's, you know, parts of a human. He's not, he's mostly machine now more yeah. than man. Uh, and, and seeing how Christensen was going to handle that, um, I think was really interesting. So I was hoping for more introspective kind of like character stuff with Vader. I understand why we didn't necessarily get it, but um, I've talked about this novel on the show before. I don't know whether it's still canon or not, but Dark Lord, The Rise of Darth Vader by James Lucino, one of my favorite Star Wars books I've ever read. It's a it's a it's from the perspective of Vader and a couple of other Jedi Knights that he's hunting down. But it, a lot of it, because you're inside Vader's head, he's talking about what it feels like to try and fight with a lightsaber when only one of your limbs is still your own, like everything else is metal, you know, about being dependent on this breathing apparatus and the life support system that he has and all this kind of stuff. And uh, Deborah Chow, the series director for Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, took some inspiration from the book as well as a, another book uh, about Obi-Wan Kenobi. I don't remember the name of it, but she, she mentioned that she was taking inspiration from Dark Lord. And I like I see that I can understand that. Yeah. Um, so I was hoping for more Vader. I, I'm not disappointed with the Vader that we got. But I think that just like anything else, when you get something good, you kind of want just a little bit more. You know, you just want a yeah. little bit more of that kind of stuff. Um, and then Kumail uh, Nanjuni or Nanjani, I think is how you pronounce his name, as Haja Estri pulled me right out of it. I I it just didn't feel like much of a stretch for him as an actor. And I feel like the the quirky character, like you can chalk it up to like a Jar Jar Binks. He ends up being good in the end, but he's kind of there to be the comic relief, but he's not funny. And and I felt that the character was not really well suited because it pulled me out of it. And it could be just something as simple as like I recently watched, you know, the Immortals from Marvel and he's in that. You know, like yeah. and I and I just it is he's a known face. Now I know other faces in the series. But for whatever reason, they all melt away. And for him, he just kind of stood out like a sore thumb. And it could have also been true of the original series. Like I was introduced to the original series when I was a kid, which means I did not know Billy D. Williams from anything else other than Star Wars. 
you know, where people yeah. going into that movie much like, oh, it's Billy D. Williams from this other thing that I've seen. Right. But I didn't know that. I just he's been Lando for me the entire my entire <laughs> life. Right. So yeah. I understand yeah. that there's there's a timing sort of stuff like people that have not seen, you know, uh, seen him in other things. They're just like, oh, well, that's fine. Like, I just, you know, especially I, younger viewers where most of his stuff is a little bit more yeah. adult to, to some extent yeah. when you think of things like um, Silicon Valley. Uh, and so on uh, so yeah, yeah they, they wouldn't have seen him in, in as much i did like the idea of the character that it is somebody who is swindling people uh you know he's he's pretending to be a jedi and just you know doing a bit of illusionary work with um smoke and mirrors basically yeah you know, using magnets to simulate the force to to fool people into thinking he's a jedi i thought that was a, a nice idea um but I, I do agree that when you see kamal it's basically just well, that's him. <laughs> that's the same kind of character that we often see him playing. But the mm-hmm. the idea of the character and what that character themselves were doing, I really thought that was neat. There was an, an alien mole character that was voiced by Seth Rogen too, and that pulled me right out of it because it wasn't even disguised. Oh. Like it just it felt like dope smoking Seth Rogen, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> driving a space truck. Like it just yeah, I, it was fine. But I was like, okay, whatever. Like I just I don't I don't necessarily need that much effort into that scene you know like he could have gotten anybody Wait, oh, to is, his voice. oh is this the one that was driving them across the uh, desert yeah yeah that that wasn't seth rogan oh wasn't it no that was um oh god what's his name uh from scrubs the lead from scrubs was oh then he was doing a seth rogan impression <laughs> <laughs> it was it was close i because i thought like is that seth rogan it sounds like it is but it's slightly off i'm pretty sure that when i looked it up it, it wasn't uh seth rogan Oh, uh, well, that makes sense then, because um, I know who you're talking about. And the two leads from Scrubs, they have a Star Wars podcast, I think. Uh, Zach Braff. Zach Braff. Yeah, they're they're yeah. they're uber fans. So that would make that would make sense. But anyway, like I said, I because of the voice, it felt it felt like a modern voice. And I and that's the thing that I, I had about all of the Inquisitors as well, with the exception of the second brother or the third. I don't remember the brother's designation, but yeah. the third sister and stuff like that. But the the Reva third sister and the lead inquisitor the the um high inquisitor um mm. they both had phrases in language that felt like the way that we speak in 2022 and throughout all of star wars the sith have always been a lot more selective with the things that they say most iconic being darth vader but then even in the cartoons the sith they don't necessarily they don't use slang. They don't use contractions a lot. And I kind of felt like the way that the language was written um, for the um, the lead Inquisitor and and Reva were very modern sounding. And it kind of pulled me out of the... Because it, it removes the timelessness from Star Wars. Like, how is it a, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away when it sounds like, you know, TikTok? <laughs> you know, yeah. when it sounds like, like that kind of slang? Uh, I don't find that particularly timeless in, in the show. But anyway, that that's really the, the full list of stuff that I, I found a little bit, you know, off-putting about the show. Um, was there anything that you, that stood out to you as something that, like, as a negative? To be honest, the, the only other one that was really a big thing for me was the lightsabers, in all honesty. I, I thought that there were some scenes where it just felt less like they were holding a lightsaber, you know, this big beam of energy. And it felt more like they were just holding a fluorescent bulb because 
the red and the blue, like I, I get obviously they're, they're trying to get like you know the fact that it's all bright and and contrasting, but it just seemed too overpowering to the scenes. Like there was too much red, there was too much blue, and we've never seen these lightsabers cast that kind of light. We we obviously have with um, the new trilogy from the the Skywalker saga uh, because they did rather than just having a like a pole, they were actually using a light that was emitting some light. So you got some light reflections on them, but it was not to the extent that we saw in this series. Uh, I, I just, it felt like it was a bit too much and I, was, I felt I was getting distracted by the glow than the action that was actually happening. Yeah, I can see that. So in that wasn't really a negative, but was a little confusing to some extent as we've seen them do a lot of de-aging and they've been actually quite good at doing that. And then we have a flashback to uh, Hayden Christensen, uh, you know, when he's there as Anakin. And this is, you know, flashback in the past. And he just looks as he does today. They didn't de-age him, which I found surprising. I, I thought that they would have tried to de-age him to look like he did when he was in the prequel trilogy. Unless they tried and perhaps it was a little bit more challenging to get him to that age. I'm not sure, but I mean, they did it with Mark Hamill. So I don't know. And I would say they didn't do it very successfully with Mark Hamill. So especially in yeah. Mandalorian spoilers, heads up folks, but um, especially, no, Mando, Mando? No, not Mando spoilers. It's uh, Boba Fett. Boba Fett spoilers. Yeah. Mando episode spoilers from Boba Fett. I don't know, whatever. You, if you've not seen it, spoilers. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like the encounter between Mando and and Luke in, in, the, in Boba Fett was... I, I don't think needed. Uh, mm. I had just enough of it in the finale for season two of Mando. I didn't yeah. need more of it because I just, you just, as a viewer, you know, it's not Mark Hamill. Like, yeah. you know, I, it's all this de-aging stuff and it just, it, it feels robotic and it doesn't, it doesn't. I really think it works work better when they're not talking. And maybe it is also just the fact that Anakin was talking a lot in that scene. And I think that perhaps they may have tried it and just realized it doesn't work with just how much dialogue there is. Perhaps too uncanny valley. I've seen some people review special effects saying that the de-aging thing is easier to do when, when beards are involved. So like, you know, McGregor having a beard and, and, and both versions of, of Obi-Wan, it made it easier. Um, not to mention that I feel like the action, the shots in that fight scene, um, or I say fight scene, it's, it's like a sparring scene. He's teaching, uh, it's a lesson for, for Anakin with Obi-Wan master and apprentice or dueling. And, I feel like the scenes with Obi-Wan or the shots with Obi-Wan are faster, whereas yeah. there's a lot more monologue from, from Anakin. And I didn't mind it. Uh, I think that part of the reason that he looks so much older, it's less to do with like wrinkles on his face and stuff. Cause they removed some of those, but yeah. it's, it's the, it's his height and stature. He was so young. He was fresh at a high school when he did attack of the clones and only a few years older when he when he did uh, revenge of the sith and granted he's taller than mcgregor uh christensen in the last 20 years has filled out like he's a man he's a 40 year old like broad shoulder he's a big dude and i think that that really suits being in the vader costume like he looks like a menace in that thing i think the other thing was that the coloring was slightly different it wasn't the same color tones that they had in the people's mm -hmm. yeah uh, so I mean, everything it, can't be the same but yeah. no absolutely not you know and, and again this this isn't really a negative it's more more a curiosity it's just something that i i noticed and picked up on uh, but something that is related to all this which is a positive 
I thought was how they did James Earl Jones's voice. Because yes, there's James Earl Jones, uh, but he's in his 90s now and sounds very, very different in the same way that Mark Hamill sounds very different to how he did in the original Star Wars. So um, when he was in uh, Mandalorian, they used some software called Respeecher to de-age his voice. And when you, I I noticed when I was going through the end credits, they had Respeecher in there as well for James Earl Jones. So that's how they managed to get his voice back to sounding exactly as it was in the original trilogy. And that was really impressive because it just... You know, it's not kind of like, oh, James Earl Jones, but he's old. It's just like, that's just Vader right there. Yeah, they did They did really, really well with that. And yeah. especially, I feel like they might have even been able to use some of the tone and delivery cadence from Christensen from the lines. Like, I feel like he probably would have recorded those lines too, right? Yeah, and there was definitely a bit where they blurred, and it's all bl- not blurred, but blended the two voices together. Oh, so for sure. when yeah, so when the helmet is is torn open, and you can see him, which is a beautiful scene. It's so good to actually see that, and it kind of solidifies, you know, that transition that this Anakin that we kind of saw and the Vader that we have in the original trilogy is the same person. You've got that transition there. Just the voice helped bring that balance between the two, and it uh, it it really will really well. Like you can you can imagine like from from how. Uh, Christensen talks in the film versus how you know James Earl Jones does. It it did bridge that gap enough that you're kind of like, okay, I get that with this this uh, this voice box that's in front of him, this breathing apparatus, it, it just blended everything perfectly to solidify that. I think there's a scene where Vader confronts Reva after she quote unquote lets Obi Wan Kenobi get away, and he like lifts <laughs> her up the air and was choking her and stuff. Uh, yeah. He is fuming. Like he's shouting, which you never hear Vader do really in the original series. And mm. and that I feel was a nice mix of like, it's it's either using James Earl Jones's voice, but they're using the, the delivery and the volume and the acting from Christensen to then dictate like, oh, like he's unhinged. Like he's shouting through this mask. He's so mad. Yeah. Uh, and the effects that they lay over top of that where even the voice regulator kind of cracks a little bit or yeah. or it just becomes distorted as he gets louder. Uh, uh, and, and, um, it reminded me a little bit of how Tom Hardy played Bane in the third Batman film, Mm. Dark Knight Rises, where he'll like, he'll be talking or taunting Batman, but then in, as he strikes him or as he says something, he almost growls the word, you know, there's a snap, there's a venom to some of the stuff that he says. And Vader has the same thing when he's like when he raises her off the ground, he's like, you have failed me for the last time where I warned you there'd be consequences. Like he is ready to just rip her from limb to limb. Like it's, it's really, really well done. Um, And I would agree. Like, I think that that's um, not a negative, but it's one of those really interesting, seamless things that, you know, and how much you forgive when the nostalgia of the statuesque, you know, vision of Vader is on screen. Like it almost doesn't matter what he says. You know, like yeah. just you, you, you're just you're looking for more iconic lines. But I think that's the other thing that they were very careful about. They yeah. didn't give Vader any lines that didn't sound like Vader. Yeah. You know, they everything out of his mouth and mask sounded like something that Vader would say. They were all measured. You know. Yeah, and I think it also gives a lot of credence and um, to the prequel trilogy. Like it almost improves the prequel trilogy in a way mm-hmm. because of that transition between the two. 
you know, and just filling that that gap. Um, I think it works really well. But yeah, I, I agree entirely. Just the the choice of dialogue makes a massive difference. And I think that those dialogue choices really shone through in two of my favorite things in the series. One of which mm. was the version of 10-year-old Princess Leia Organa that we didn't know we were getting, didn't know we <laughs> needed, and worked out yeah. very, very well. So like tip of the hat to Vivian Laura Blair, who was eight or nine when this was filming. I don't know. She's 10 this year, which means that she was younger when they were making this series. Mm. And she's just fantastic. You know, like yeah. she has some really complicated dialogue. She's acting opposite Ewan McGregor, one of the best actors around, uh, who is bringing his A game, by the way. Uh, and and <laughs> yes. and she has to portray spunky Princess Leia or, you know, Carrie Fisher's version from A New Hope. You know, like that's that's the train that she's on yeah. and she handles it very, very well. There's lots of lovely little cues and like little stuff she mutters under her breath you know like i think there's a line where obi-wan is they're undercover and they're trying to escape he's like look i'm your father you're my daughter like just say nothing and follow me and she's like grandfather maybe because he's so old <laughs> it's like it, it's so good it's so good and she even talks through her teeth when she says it like it just she does so many of these great things but then she also brings her own kind of like she's still a kid like she has this droid that follows her around lola and she still has attachments and all these different things. And you get to see Princess Leia grow up a bit in all the terror that she has to go through mm. in this, you know, being kidnapped and being rescued by Obi-Wan. Um, and the relationship between Obi-Wan and Leia, I mean, darned if that didn't bring a tear to my eye. Like the, yeah. the fact that they eventually have to say goodbye and all the weight that they have there, the echoes. She says the same line to Obi-Wan that Anakin says to his mother when yep. he leaves Tatooine, she says the same thing when he leaves Alderaan and they never do see one another again. The next time that Leia sees Obi-Wan Kenobi, he's killed by Darth Vader on the Death Star. Like that's the next time she sees him, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, never has a chance to actually reconnect with them. And yeah. I think that their relationship in this was one of the highlights because, uh, and they they get into this, especially in that last speech that, that McGregor gives Leia uh, or say Obi-Wan gives Leia at the end, which is, She's been at, she's realizes that she's adopted. She doesn't know her parents. She wants to know them. She's got a pretty good idea that that Obi-Wan knew them or knows them. And there's been hints throughout the whole series. Like when Leia is being headstrong, he kind of looks down at her. It's like, you remind me of somebody that I used to know. And it's he's talking about Padme, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then there's other times when she reminds him of Vader uh, or Anakin. And at the end, he gives her this really heartfelt speech about like, here are three qualities in you that I see. These are qualities from your mother. Here are three other qualities that I that I see, which are in you, they're good. <laughs> in yeah. Anakin, they turned out to be not good, but these are gifts from your father. I wish I could tell you more, but he just gives her this sense of peace. Uh, and the other thing that's a nice throughput is in A New Hope, when she's requesting, you know, help, me obi-wan kenobi you're my only hope there's a conversation at the end saying like look the importance of people not knowing who i am of thinking of me as ben kenobi and not obi-wan kenobi uh hiding the fact that i'm a jedi that's really important like we need to keep all of this a secret and so it yeah. really highlights how important and how big a risk that leia was taking in this final hour with the rebellion uh, in the new hope and by putting out a message saying, help me Obi-Wan Kenobi. 
and yeah. and like revealing that he's still alive to anybody that inter like that intercepts that message like it's all kinds of complicated but it makes it feel way more important and and what was really good about it as well is that he gave her permission he he basically opened that door and and said like if you need me you know i'll be yes. there but it's it's basically like you know in case of emergency break glass kind of deal yeah yeah yeah, yeah. which i thought worked really yeah. well and yeah and with you saying about just the way that she's performing the character as well, like there's times when you're feeling that that layer. Uh, there's also times when I almost feel like the way that they wrote the lines for her, her dialogue almost felt like they were pulling from Carrie Fisher as well. Mm -hmm. Because there's sure. definitely that kind of sass that she's always had, you know, the kind of fun jokiness. So, um, you know, which, which just kind of, you know, bled through. And, and again, is how a lot of people see Leia as well. And it, it just, she nailed it, especially at such a young age. I really like the, the the double nature of the line when she's being interrogated by Riva. And she's like, is this a staring contest? Like what? Like, <laughs> and it yes. reminded me, it yes. reminded me of Poe Dameron, right? Like, do you talk yeah. first? Do I talk first? Like, how does this go? Right. He's talking <laughs> to Kylo Ren. And, but it's yeah. also, I felt at the time, like it really kind of highlighted how stupid Reva was. <laughs> like I didn't mm -hmm. like her at, at that point in the series. I really felt like every time she was on screen, she was just brooding and pouty and poorly written. And, yeah. and Leia's just like, are you going to say something to help us out here? <laughs> like just, I thought it was really, really well done. Yeah. The other thing that was a surprise to me that I, I was glad to get to more of was Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. Uh, in the end, being badasses and having like weapons hidden around the moisture farm uh, yeah. and taking on Reva when she comes to try to kill Luke, but also just Owen's stalwart defense of Luke, like, and even trying to keep Obi-Wan away from him in the early parts of the series, you know, like um, things are getting hot on Tatooine, pardon the pun. And, and Obi-Wan is trying to convince, like, we may have to accelerate, you know, Luke's training. And Owen's like, well, how well did that turn out last time? Like, I don't, I don't, you know, like we agreed to protect this kid, but now their adoptive son, their, their nephew has become their son and he's very protective. And I really enjoyed seeing, uh, yeah. that side of Owen and Aunt Beru, and them having like a plan and it makes sense like because they're out in in the i can't remember the name of the area in tatooine but they're not like in town they're out on the skirts and and tuscan raiders would be a real problem so you have to have kind of like a fire exit plan like you have to have like what do we do when we get attacked by tuscan raiders like we have to hide and run like that's the plan so they have to tell luke and he's like i'm not afraid and it's like look i know you're not afraid that's fine i still need you to run because tuscan raiders are big and scary and don't care that you're not afraid you know yeah. And I really enjoyed that. Uh, I'm kind of glad we got very little Luke in the series. He seems a little bit like a, he's more of a regular kid because he doesn't have the same kind of pressures on him that Leia does as the daughter of a senator on Alderaan. Yeah. And um, I don't necessarily feel like, and I can't judge, the kid that played Luke didn't really give me a lot of wow vibes like he just if he felt like an average 10 year old boy that kind of melted into the background you kind of if it wasn't for Baru and, and Owen you'd not even realize it was Luke Skywalker you know what I mean yeah and and, yep. and I feel like there it was a little bit weird that way and it's fine because I feel like Skywalker is such an iconic character like you don't necessarily want to get into too much of it with a kid and I can't say that they've been successful with it up until um Leia in Obi-Wan Kenobi because Jake Lloyd in Phantom Menace was not great 
you know, like, and I, I feel that he's gotten some hate for it and it's not, it's not been has, a good experience yeah. for him, but I also just think that it was poor casting and a poor choice to have like Darth Vader as a kid. I, it just didn't, it didn't really work that well for me. I feel like they should have grabbed an older kid. You know, like, I feel like it would have been better to have an older, an older kid in the Phantom Menace, but that's, that's, I'm getting sidetracked. Yeah. But I, I thought it was so good. Just that Bonnie PS, I think her name is the, the lady who plays Baru, that she actually got lines this time. Right. Because in episode two, she just gets to say hello and that's it. And, and now she's able to return, reprise this role and she's got whole lines of dialogue and and it's, it's just one of those that's actually kind of heartwarming to to see this like you, you actually get to play your character now speaking of lines uh there's uh there's a really great line at the end there when owen finally caves and says to obi-wan like do you want to meet him like and you realize that obi-wan's been protecting this kid that he's never met uh yeah. officially and i and i think that's i mean outside of being a, like as a baby when he delivered them to to owen and baru and and I feel like it was a really nice moment where, of course, they use the iconic um, Obi Wan Kenobi "Hello there," <laughs> which he does with General Grievous, and uh, and Alec Guinness uses in in A New Hope. And I thought that yep. was that was really really well done. I saw a, fun, a f- couple of funny memes online where people line up all three clips to play at the same time. I was about to say the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just it's perfectly in sync with uh, even with Alec Guinness's delivery. Speaking of iconic lines and iconic moments, like we we can't not talk about the uh, epic fight between Vader and Obi Wan. And what's so interesting about this is like you know neither one of them die because yeah. that confrontation happens in A New Hope. And so in order for these band of ragtag rebels to escape, Obi Wan Kenobi separates from them and flies down to uh, a nearby rocky moon in a pursuit where he knows that Vader is just so fixated on him, he's going to follow. Uh, and forsake the, you know, whatever, we'll catch the rebels later. Because, the, I mean, at first I thought this is kind of dumb. Like, why doesn't Vader take his own shuttle? And then the other, you know, the ship split up and like take on this other fighter. But because the Sith are so overconfident, I feel like it sort of works. And it just, it works for the story. Like, you don't, I don't really care about, you know, these people um, fighting and chasing down the rebels. Because at the same time, if that ship blows up and all the rebels die, that's the end of the rebellion. <laughs> Like you can't do that either. So there's this really cool moment when, and this is where I can sort of see your argument on the brightness of the lightsabers. But I think here it was maybe used to their advantage where they're on like a foggy, rocky planet with a lot of rocky spires coming out of the ground. And Obi-Wan Kenobi and Vader have to have their final confrontation, which is a sword fight and, Mm. um, or lightsaber battle. And at the beginning of it, you know, Vader's like, have you come to destroy me? And Obi-Wan says, I'll, I, I will do what I must, which is what he says to Anakin, or I guess Vader technically, yeah. uh, before they have their fight on Mustafar in Revenge of the Sith. And the ensuing fight between the two of them is what we have always wanted to see from Vader. Yes. Uh, he moves and spins and does all these things that really make you realize how aggressive and powerful and even overconfident he is like there's a there's a couple of times in that battle where he stops kenobi's lightsaber with his hand like he just kind of holds up the force and says nope you know that swing is stopping dead right there and kenobi is swinging at him like he's 
hitting for, you know, over the fence in a major league ballpark. Like there's a couple times where, I mean, like he's telegraphing the move, but he's trying to take his head off. Like there's, there's a lot of really aggressive swings. And I find that I, I felt more of the force behind everything, pardon the pun, but like the actual impact of the lightsabers felt a lot more heavy in this one. Um, and that's where I kind of forgive the heavier lightsabers. Like I feel like even I know, even though I know technically they're the same blades that we saw in the prequels, I feel like the original trilogy had lightsabers. They felt more like two-handed, like broadswords, like English-style. Yeah, that, that's kind of how they were intended at first. Yeah. yeah, and then in in the prequels, they felt kind of more like samurai blades. They were very spinny, and there was a lot of, I would say, even unnecessary spins. Um, mm. But then in in this it was much more two-handed and for people that were really nerding out about lightsaber stuff they change lightsaber um i think they're called forms where obi-wan switches from one hand to two hand and then vader switches from one hand to two hand which is rare and if you look at at the other moments of vader fights throughout most of star wars he's usually using one hand uh, and then yep. using his other hand to either direct the force or do other things or just calmly kind of like deflect and make the person attacking him feel inferior because he's just fighting them with one hand. This is why I really like that they did that flashback to them sparring back when the, they were training together because it really kind of puts into perspective the kind of level that they're at now. And this is not a sparring match anymore. This is, no. this is a proper on, full on fight. Yeah, when Vader puts two hands in the lightsaber, like shit goes down. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and and he does some really cool force stuff. Eventually, burying Kenobi, uh, and I won't blow go through blow by blow. But the 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 thing, the two moments that kind of stood out for me were things like reflecting of Vader having the high ground when he buries Kenobi alive. Yeah, uh, the cockiness of Vader burying him alive and not actually killing him. Although a lot of that, I also kind of have to say, like, well. Again, you can't kill him because it's he's it's a prequel and we know they both live. And that's where I think that you kind of you have to kind of like work some other headcanon in there as to why Vader didn't kill Reva when he had the chance, which makes no freaking sense. You know, you you especially because she's not a canon character that well she is now, but she like she she's not a character in future films that we have to worry about. So he could have just killed her. <laughs> Who knows? And it would have and it would have made a lot more sense, right? But unfortunately, that means to me that we're probably going to see Reva again, which I'm not yeah. excited about. Um, but then like in this, like he buries him alive and it, but it serves a purpose. Like afterwards, you're like, well, that was kind of silly. Why did Vader bury him alive? But then it gives Obi-Wan Kenobi a chance to dig down, realize what he's fighting for and and stop trying to fight for his redemption and start to fight for the future for Luke and Leia. And yeah. I think part of that, and this is my own headcanon, is that he doesn't know Luke. He's never spent any time with Luke, nor does he know Leia until this series where he spends several weeks rescuing her and spending yeah. a lot of time with her. And I think that an attachment for the Jedi, which is generally bad, actually gives him the strength he needs to move forward and understand what his place is going to be and how important it is. It's less yeah. about protecting some sort of future plan and more about protecting a person. Yeah. And so he blows the rocks all to smithereens 
And then we have like, I want to say the most iconic thing I've seen from Obi-Wan Kenobi in any series, including the Clone Wars cartoons, where he's at his full strength. I mean, like he raises, I mean, Vader's been throwing rocks and doing stuff, you know, this, this whole time, but Kenobi raises like dozens upon dozens of boulders into the air with very little effort. He's still holding his lightsaber when he does it and sends them all flying at Vader and uses that i had to watch it a second time he uses that constant barrage to close the gap between him and vader like he's constantly walking towards him as all these rocks are coming over him and the idea is that he's trying to get close enough that he can strike him yeah and it's such a well thought out fight it's it's brutal uh vader gets injured greatly like he takes a lightsaber swing to the back Kenobi gets close enough after this rock barrage to use the butt of his lightsaber to break the the panel of Vader's respiratory system. And and again, this is where the Dark Lord Rise of Vader comes in because the design of the suit, it's as much a prison as it is a life support system because Vader's life depends on these electronics that are on the freaking front of his, like they're not buried under some armor, they're right there. What does yeah. Darth Sidious use? Lightning, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so at any point, Sidious can fry his, his respiratory system and the guy's toast, right? Yeah. So I feel like it, 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 it outlines Vader's weakness. And throughout the fight, eventually we get to the point where the lightsabers that you don't like really come into, a, 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 I feel something that they're used for very well. Kenobi cuts off half of Vader's mask. It's a call yeah. out to the clone, no, to Rebels, clone, uh, to Star Wars Rebels, where in a confrontation with Ahsoka, Vader's mask is cut off because she doesn't believe that Anakin is Vader. She she really feels that um, Vader has killed Anakin and she's there for vengeance. And she's not a Jedi. She's, she's an offshoot. She's one of these gray force wielders that I talked about. Mm. And, and she has this confrontation where you can see the animated version of Anakin underneath the Vader mask. And it was really moving to see Christensen in the Vader kind of prosthetic white makeup with the scar and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, underneath the Vader mask. And the fact that the mask was cut in half. So you saw Vader on one side and you saw a mutilated Anakin on the other. And that they were flipping the highlights on his face between blue and red as he spoke mm. was really, really well done. Like it was a really, I wouldn't say subtle. It wasn't that subtle, um, but it was a really effective use of the two different color lightsabers to illustrate when maybe Anakin was trying to get a message out uh, to Obi-Wan to when Obi-Wan was talking, who Obi-Wan was talking to, maybe not who was listening, but who Obi-Wan was talking to when, when Vader's face is highlighted with blue it's meant to be Obi-Wan addressing Anakin. And then when, like eventually as, as Vader responds, the highlights switch from blue to very deep red when he raises his own lightsaber to highlight his face red. And you, it's Vader talking. And I thought that was super effective. Yeah, and especially as he's essentially saying to him that there is no more Anakin, like it is just Vader, uh, that Anakin is basically dead, that he's, he's kind of killed that, part of himself off and that's no longer there it it gives more weight to the line in a new hope where he says that uh, you know 
Vader killed Anakin. He, Vader killed your father. And that kind of makes a little bit more sense that it's not just like, oh, we've got this old man and he's just now just lying to this kid. You know, he, he's meaning it at that kind of spiritual level in a way, which I, I thought was really good. And, and, and even throughout, just the way that you've also had Obi-Wan, because uh, he's, he's at this odd stage in his life where he's not been a Jedi for a long time. He's getting older. He's inexperienced and completely unmatched um, against Vader. So to see that rise, as you were saying, like to, to see him at his most powerful is just an incredible uh, change th- throughout the journey, which uh, just makes everything worth it. But uh, yeah, to have it as a confrontation where when he leaves, when he's there, he's kind of, you know, he's seeing him as Anakin. When he leaves, he's like, Anakin's gone. This is purely just 100% Vader. Yeah, he even leaves and calls him Darth. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which which I thought was odd because I always thought that Darth was more of like uh, an address, like Sir, you know, like if someone's knighted and they're called Sir, I've always felt like Darth because there's Darth Plagueis, Darth Vader, Darth Sidious. Like I don't think of it as their first name. Um, and and so I kind of expected him to, I thought it would be better if he called him Vader, but I think they're probably tied by the fact that Alec Guinness says Darth in A New Hope. Uh, so it's always, yeah, I mean, it's always kind of like, um, uh, kind of like a rankling. Like if, I, if I'm going to go and use Star Trek as an example, right? it's like somebody de- demeanly just calling someone Ensign rather than calling them by their name, you know, and uh, and, and things. You know, if you have an admiral that's really angry and they're just, you know, they just call him captain. You know, there's there's almost that derogatory tone behind it. There's a lot of master and and Padawan. Like they don't necessarily say like later on as adults, uh, Obi-Wan calls Anakin, Anakin is supposed to like Padawan or whatever. But yeah. Anakin usually calls him master. Like he doesn't yeah. say he'll refer to him as Obi-Wan when he's not present. But when he's addressing Obi-Wan, he usually calls him master. There's a level of respect behind yeah, it. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. But yeah, I mean, one of the most emotional scenes I've seen from McGregor uh, in the series, uh, or at, like as in his portrayal as Obi Wan, not just Obi Wan Kenobi, but like in this, the, the the three prequels as well as as the series, and really heart wrenching to see him say that I'm sorry for all of it, and I feel yeah. like the weight behind that, and it's like it's almost like I'm sorry that I let Qui-Gon take you off Tatooine. Like we took you from your mother. I'm sorry. I couldn't train you. I'm sorry. I let the dark side thing. I'm sorry. Padme. Like he just, he's apologizing for all of the things the universe has thrown at Vader. And even though Obi-Wan didn't have control over it, he was, it was the, it was him that kind of pushed through and set the dominoes in motion by training him. Right. And I thought that was, was really good. And like the lines from, from, I want to say Anakin because it, they used Christensen's voice because with the mask broken, the regu- the voice regulator is busted and you only get the James Earl Jones version of Vader at certain points. Yeah, that's the, the blending and, we were t- kind of talking about earlier. Yeah. 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 And so he says like, you know, I, you know, I am, does he say I I can't, I can't remember recall. whether he said I, I can't remember whether he said I or whether he said Anakin, but he said I am not your failure, uh, and he said that you didn't kill Anakin Skywalker, I did. And when he says I did, yeah. that's when the right lightsaber goes red and turns us all back to to evil Vader, and it's it's poignant. Like it re- it really really hammers home 
that, you know, when, when Alec Guinness as Kenobi says that Vader is twisted and evil, it gives a whole new meaning to the word twisted. Like it's dual personalities inside of this prison, this Vader, you know, life support prison that he's in and the constant battle that is going on. Obviously, predominantly won by vader throughout most of the star wars canon because he's this evil villain that doesn't see that redemption until luke skywalker uh and and him confront the emperor in return of the jedi but the the fact that they that he does that like he gets that line out before vader says i'm going to destroy you and it's enough for obi-wan to find forgiveness in himself and say like well then it wasn't me that did it you know like it was vader that killed anakin before mostafar so it's like he can kind of reconcile that his battle on mostafar while physically he was faced with the person that looked like anakin and had anakin's voice that anakin was at that point vader right because yeah. yoda gives a line like that too uh at some point before the confrontation on mustafar and um I, it makes me want to go back and watch the whole nine movies again because i haven't seen them in a long time yeah and this is the thing because there's always a worry that any kind of retconning is going to destroy canon and upset people mm. and things mm-hmm. but um kind of as i was mentioning before it really feels like it improves the work that came before it gives more weight and meaning behind a lot of stuff in a way that that lifts it up as opposed to just being a tacky add-on and I will end on the idea of that lifting up because you can feel the weight that's been lifted from Obi-Wan in all of the scenes that follow, right? Yes. In yes. his interaction with Luke, in his interaction with Leia, his interaction with uh, Bail Organa, Owen. Eventually at the end on, I can't remember the name of the animal. He's on a camel in real life and they've CG'd it to me, an alien thing. Uh, but he <laughs> runs into Qui-Gon. Qui-Gon appears as a force ghost at the end of the series. And yeah has a really key line of saying like, I've been here this whole time. You just weren't ready to see, which to me was the arc that we just witnessed. It was Obi-Wan was defeated. He was the catalyst that brought about the end of all things, you know, uh, and has no one to tell about it or talk to about it because he has to bear this weight alone. And it's not until he forgives himself that he can see Qui-Gon, right? He has to be at peace before he can continue his training and see Qui-Gon as a force ghost in the same way that Luke Skywalker can see Obi-Wan Kenobi as a force ghost. Because Obi-Wan never completed his training, which is the whole the whole thing, really. Yeah. Yes. So I thought it was a really uh, nice way to wrap it up. And, and you really get to see, even though it's a sad moment, Obi-Wan, again, brilliantly played by McGregor in that last scene between Leia and Obi-Wan when he says goodbye. Like you can see the sadness, but also the peace that's involved like the inner peace he feels more jedi right like he feels more jedi master than he does because i'm pretty sure that i'm pretty sure obi-wan's on the council in revenge of the sith at that point i'm pretty sure i remember him being a chair it's been a long time since i've seen them um but yeah i just they brought it full circle and i and i think they did it really well and there's a line from george lucas that says that you know star wars is poetry it rhymes it repeats itself and i and i feel like when it does it right it's just enough fan service that you're just like, oh, he did the thing. Or like, I know this feeling before. <laughs> I know this swell of music or I know this walk into the sunset is going to be iconic in some way. And I, when they do it right, 
it it really really leaves you with a good feeling so i cannot recommend this show enough to anybody that's a star wars fan you've probably seen it if you already have but if you're on the fence at all or uh like my buddy chad if you were waiting until it was over run don't walk to go watch it i mean like you've probably been spoiled by now if you live on the internet at all but it's um it's really 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 worth it and again it's not perfect but there's enough high points and and positive points and things that are really really well done by the cast by the by the director deborah chow um that take it above you know what what it could be and i think there's a lesson in patience as well there i saw a lot of snap judgments on the first two episodes and i knew i was on board for the full series i wasn't being vocal online but i definitely had some reservations after the first two episodes but when these things come out now as series instead of single films i Mm. think we really have to be patient and and let it play out and i think that the way that it worked out uh in the end was worth the wait and we we run out of time. We've run out of time. I can't go into the details of all of this, but <laughs> if you look at it, the one through six episodes of Kenobi reflect episodes one through six of the films. That's a good point, actually. Yeah. Episode one, it's all Tatooine. It's all desert sand and woe is times, you know. And and then another key moment, which is an easy one, is an easy one to spot, is episode five of Kenobi, when Vader. It's attacking the rebels. They're trying to escape the base. And Vader has this like aggressive march through a tunnel. And at the last minute, he rips a ship out of the sky with the force. And then another one escapes. It's not exactly what happens on Hoth, but the Millennium Falcon shoots out of a bay just as Vader arrives after walking through a tunnel in Hoth. Like there are echoes throughout the whole series. Uh, there's an epic battle. There's an epic lightsaber fight between Vader and Kenobi in episode six of the series and Vader and Luke in episode six of the movies. Like it just, it's, there are a lot of similarities. And if, if, and when I rewatch the Kenobi series, I'm going to be really paying attention to the movies. I want to watch the movies before I watch the series again. Cause I feel like there's going to be a lot of things I didn't necessarily pick up on right away that are a through line of it. So question, would you be watching, because there's always a question of like, you know, what order do you watch the movies in? Do you watch them chronologically? Do you watch them, you know, as like the, the machete order, as it's known? Um, yeah, would you be watching the prequel trilogy and then the series and then the, uh, the original trilogy? Or are you just going to be watching just all the movies and then go back to the series? I'd be watching them in, in chronological order. Not normally how I watch them, but for this particular reason, because the Kenobi series because i've recently watched rebels because the mandalorian series is closer to the original series than it is the new the new trilogy i think i'll just go through and watch them one through nine i'm hoping i get better quality uh on on disney plus than uh, i found kenobi very grainy and i don't know why uh so i have to look into that because i have them on blu-ray like i've got the series at least the first six on blu-ray and I could just watch them that way, but on Disney Plus they're in 4K, and I feel like that would probably be the better way to go. But we'll see. But yeah, I, I for the for the first time, I think I'm going to be watching them in in uh, chronological order because normally I do like release order, but like flashback. Like I kind of watch four, five, then one, two, three, then six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah. So yeah, a bit more of the machete order. But are, are you going to be interspersing like in between the? 
you know the prequel and original trilogy are you going to be rewatching uh obi-wan kenobi in the middle of that or are you just watching just the movies no probably not i'll probably just watch the movies and, and i'm undecided if i'm going to throw solo and rogue one in there i don't know i might i might just kind of because i've not done that like i've not i've not watched them with those in any particular order certainly i will watch rogue, rogue one i don't know if i'll toss solo in there solo is definitely an offshoot does yeah it doesn't have as any real impact in anything in the same way that rogue one would yeah exactly we have to move on and wrap things up with the internet minute which is of course brought to you by you dear listener the citadel cafe is 100 listener supported if you're getting value out of the show please consider putting a little bit of value back in you can become a member at patreon.com slash the citadel cafe joining at any level will get you access to the member only discord server that is shared with my personal discord server and of course access to the barista cut bonus audio sessions special thanks to the bean counter patron smurf 588 for your support on this episode truly appreciated my friend patron count is at 27 that is steady on from last week our goal each week is to have at least one more patron than the week before if you would like to be patron number 28 visit patreon.com slash the sizzle cafe speaking of nostalgic stuff from the 80s like star wars your pick this week is unsurprising <laughs> indeed it is a brand new game that has just released this week and it's one that I've kind of had my eye on for a little a bit, a bit more of just a, you know, a, a sort of side on the, in the peripherals kind of thing. And it is Back to the Future, A Letter from the Past. Uh, it's by a company called Dr. Collector. It's about $36 Canadian and about $26, 27 uh, US. And it's a escape room kind of puzzle type game. Uh, so you end up, it, it follows on from the third film and they've done it in three chapters. So you can either do each chapter individually or you can do it as a whole run. So it's kind of like just having another trilogy in a way. And you're taking on the role of Marty. And after you get back to 1985 at the end of the third film, you receive a letter from Doc Brown asking for help. And he's now stuck in the year 1900. So he's just 1885'd himself all over again. So he's needing Marty's assistance to get everything working so that he's not stranded. So you're kind of going through investigating, uh, trying to figure out where he is to kind of go back. And it just seems like a, a really cool concept. It's for uh, anyone from 12 and up, and it's one to six players. And the fact that there is a solo mode is something that I really like, that I could play it as a, a single player. The only th problem with escape room games and the only thing that's kind of made me a little hesitant is that once you've got the solution, typically that's kind of the end of the game for you and replayability you lose a lot of. But one thing that I do admire is that from what I can see, there's nothing where you're actually having to mark things. I know that with some of these escape rooms, you're having to handwrite on stuff. Uh, with this, there's none of that. And I have seen people saying that essentially when they've played it, chances are they'll pass it on to a friend or a family member and there's not going to be anything that's been ruined in that, nice. which is kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that just came out. So I'm, I'm on the fence about getting it, but I'm more than likely going to. Uh, and that'll be interesting to, to tackle, I think. The design of it, it looks really cool. There's um, some old timey radio looking pieces. Some of the cards look like they're time circuits from the DeLorean. Yeah. And the time train as well. And yep. the sports almanac is in there, too. Yeah, the, the Almanac is the, the player's guide. 
So it's the the manual. Oh, so I I love that they've nice. used the cover of that for it. Yeah, um, the artwork is is just brilliant, and it just it looks really interesting. So that's that's something that I'm gonna likely give a go. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Citadel Cafe. You can get more information about the show and links to some of the things that Alistair and I talked about at thecitadelcafe.com. Music for the show was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can email the show at thecitadelcafe at gmail.com or find the show by name on Twitter. Subscribe for free, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. Word of mouth is, of course, the easiest way to support the show. Just tell a friend about the Citadel Cafe and where they can go to listen to it. My name is Joel Duggan. You can find everything I am doing online at joelduggan.com. You can listen to my podcast all about Minecraft at thespawnchunks.com and follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream at least three days a week, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from the Citadel, where Alistair and I are server mates. Alistair, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. It's always a pleasure to have you. Where can people find you and the things that you do online? Well, you can follow me over on Twitch to see me on the Citadel, finding new and fun ways to torment villagers in Minecraft over at twitch.tv slash McFly. And you can also check out both of my Star Trek retrospective podcasts. That's right, we've got two of them now, and that's over at longrangesensors.com. Uh, you can find me on social media at Alistair McFly, as I am Alistair with an A. You've been listening to the Citadel Cafe, where we are fast, easy, and cheap. And always two there are. Mm-hmm.